This is uh, our first Sunday in February. Many of you uh, will know that February in our North American culture has been designated as Black History Month. Now, Black History Month is interesting in that it seems strange that we would have to highlight uh, people from our community and our society who are people of color that have made significant contributions to our community. But you know, when I think back to uh, when I was in high school and was learning about Canadian history, I really don't know that anything beyond stories of the Underground Railroad ending up in Canada, um, I don't recall really that there were significant historical figures that were people of color that I learned about or that I was told about. It was like people of color who had contributed significantly in our society just weren't there. They were invisible in many ways. As a family, uh, we want our children who are biracial, persons of color, to know that there are people like them that have made significant contributions to our nation and to our community, that they belong, that they are significant, that they have something to say, and that they are worthy. I have a question for you, a little trivia quiz, perhaps. Can you name three black Canadians who have contributed to our Canadian history and culture? Just three. Can you name three? Hmm, what are the names that come to mind? Now, oh, maybe you thought of Viola Desmond. Many of you will have heard of Viola Desmond as she has taken a place in our current culture. She was born in Halifax, Nova Scotia. She ran her own beauty parlor and a beauty college there in Halifax. And she is known today for her activism for equal rights when she sat in a theater in the wrong section and was arrested and charged and fined. She has become an icon of the civil rights movement here in Canada and is now featured on some of our currency. Beyond Viola Desmond, who else can you name? Hmm. Do you have an unsettled feeling knowing that there aren't that very many names that you can think of? What about Eleanor Collins? Remember her? No? She was known as the first lady of jazz and was the first Canadian woman, the first Canadian woman to have her own television show. It was called The Eleanor Show. Or what about the Honorable Lincoln M. Alexander, who was born in 1922 in Toronto. He served with the Royal Canadian Air Force during the Second World War. And then he became the first black person to become a member of parliament in 1968. A significant achievement. Or what about Carrie Best? 
During the 1940s, Mrs. Best and her son were arrested for sitting in the whites-only section of a theater, again, in Nova Scotia. She was charged with disturbing the peace. She was convicted and fined. She went on to found one of the first black-owned and published newspapers in Nova Scotia. She became a member of the Order of Canada in 1974. She received the Queen Elizabeth Medal in 1977 and became an officer of the Order of Canada in 1979. Do you remember her? What about here in our own community, the city of Winnipeg? Did you know that in November 2012, just a few short years ago, Devon Clunas was sworn in as the chief of police here in Winnipeg, and he was the first black Canadian to hold that post in our country. I think it's fair to say that for most of us, these people and these stories do not jump to mind easily. In many ways, they're just in the background, or we haven't paid any attention to them at all. They're invisible. Here in the passage that we have read today from Luke chapter 8, we have two parallel stories within this encounter with Jesus. In this story, Jesus is making a point about who belongs, who is seen and known, and who is loved. You know, I remember hearing this story long ago, probably as a kid in Sunday school. We didn't have cool videos like the one they had today, but we had picture books and we imagined this. And I remember thinking about how this story was amazing. Jesus raised a little girl from the dead. Isn't that amazing? That's a miracle that we can't even think about describe. Like, how does that happen? Healing? Well, maybe. But back from the dead? It's amazing. And then there's this woman who has been sick for so long and just a touch on his robes healed her. Amazing. I remember thinking about those two stories as saying only that Jesus loved them and could heal them both. Well, certainly that's true. But that's not the point that Luke is making here in his gospel. He actually is contrasting these two healings, these two daughters of Israel. The first daughter that we hear of is the daughter of Jairus. Now, Jairus is a synagogue leader, which means that he's a prominent member of the community a religious leader, well-known, respected, and his daughter is dying. His lovely, beautiful 12-year-old daughter is dying. And like any parent who loves their child, he is doing whatever he can to find healing for her. 
And he comes to plead with Jesus, this miracle worker and teacher, to do something, to do anything for her. He loves his daughter so much that he, a public leader in the community, humiliates himself in front of the crowds. That means something a little more significant in that culture than it does perhaps in our modern day thinking. But it says he falls on the ground in front of Jesus and begs for help. That's a shameful, that's way beyond embarrassing. He is lowering himself in the eyes of the community, but he doesn't care because it's his daughter whose life is at stake and he will do anything for her. Seems like he truly is a good father that he cares. And then the story moves on to this other woman, the woman with chronic bleeding. How do we know that these two daughters are being contrasted? How old was Jairus' daughter? She was 12 years old. How long has this woman been suffering with this malady of internal bleeding and hemorrhaging? 12 years. Huh. That's an interesting contrast. Unlike the daughter of the synagogue leader, she is not well known. She's hiding in the crowds. She's there on her own. She has no messenger or friend or others to come to Jesus and plead on her behalf. She is alone. This illness in the culture of the day meant that she was unclean. Everyone who knew her would avoid her. She had some resources years ago, but she used everything that she had looking for help and for a cure. There may be even a little touch of irony in this story as Luke is known as a physician and here he doesn't paint the physicians in a very good light. She approaches Jesus in fear, trepidation. She just wants a touch of his cloak. Not even his hand because she knows that she's not worthy of that or his attention, but maybe if she just touches his cloak, something might happen. And it does. She reaches out and God's power enters into her and heals her. She is healed. And Jesus knows that something has happened. Jesus knows that she has touched him. And so he stops and he asks, who touched me? Knowing, of course, who it was and what the circumstances were already. When she is called out, she too, like Jairus, falls at the feet of Jesus. In fear, 
and in shame. Was she in the wrong? Would she be rebuked for doing something which was so against the rules? But instead, Jesus says to her, Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. She is known by Jesus. She is seen by Jesus and she is loved. This woman on the margins, living in the shadows, is a beloved child of the king. Just then in our story, Jairus hears that his daughter has died. And Jesus says to him, have faith. The same words that he has spoken of this woman. Faith like who? Jesus is telling this religious leader, this one who knows the scriptures and teaches the rest of the community about God's will and God's ways, Jesus tells him to have faith like this unknown daughter. She is the example of faith for him. She is the example of faith for us. As the story concludes, we find that the daughter of Jairus is also healed, raised to life. And I wonder as we read this, whether there is more to it than just the physical healing that happens for her, a renewed life. Perhaps there is also a figurative sense in which we can read this text. New life because of faith. As we walk with Jesus, here in this encounter with the two daughters of Israel, we see that they are in very different circumstances. One is loved, loved deeply by family and community. One is shunned, alone, unclean. And what we see is that God's love through Jesus is for both of them. Of course, the 12-year-old innocent girl is loved and healed. Hallelujah! That's a beautiful story. And it's beautiful all on its own. But there's a reason why there's two stories of healing here together. The 12-year-old innocent girl is healed. And the unknown, unclean, unloved woman who has suffered alone for 12 years, she too is loved and healed as she encounters Jesus. And it is her faith that becomes the example for us all. These are wonderful stories. They make us feel good inside. The question we must ask as people of faith, people who walk with Jesus today, is how does this lesson that we see play out in our daily lives? 
Do we actually take a moment to take stock of who we believe deserves to be loved? Who belongs? Who needs healing? When we treat others differently because of who we think they are, we are ignoring, yes, ignoring the lessons that Jesus teaches us of who belongs and who is a beloved child of God. Jesus tells stories of the kingdom, of a banquet table in which someone has taken the seat of honor thinking that they deserve it. And then when the guest of honor truly comes, that person is told to move because there is another who is honored and loved. We are told in the scriptures by Jesus' teaching that we are not to regard people from their appearances, but because they are created in the image of God, loved by God. We should not treat those who present well and dress well and have significant status in our community as any better than anyone else. For in Ignoring those who are in need and who are struggling, we at times have turned away Jesus himself. In our communities, this plays out every day with those who are marginalized, ignored, forgotten, or worse, treated as less worthy than others. The homeless, immigrants, Indigenous peoples, those with disabilities, those who are poor, those with mental health problems, addictions, racism. I want to touch on something right now that I know is a sensitive topic, but I think it has to be said. My heart is heavy. The freedom convoy protests going on right now are an example of this at play here and now in our own communities and in our nation. Now, hear me out. Never mind whether you support the cause of ending vaccination mandates and etc. That's not the point. This isn't a, I'm not talking about whether you agree or disagree or whether you find yourself on one side or another of the current context. But the current protests demonstrate clearly the discrimination and racism experienced by so many of the marginalized communities in our midst. Sure, certainly there are the racist and anti-Semitic flags and symbols which are very obvious at first glance. But these have been denounced by all sides already. That's not the point either. There is something more subtle yet disturbing, which is at work here. It is in how this predominantly white protest group has been treated in comparison to others protesting injustices and standing up for their rights and freedoms. In Ottawa, just a few months ago, our capital city, there was a group of BIPOC peoples black, indigenous, peoples of color, that closed down one intersection in that city 
for a call to action on issues of injustice and inequality. Within hours, the police had shut them down and threatened them with arrest and detention. Within hours. This current freedom convoy has shut down the city center of our nation's capital for more than a week without action from the police. This is what systemic racism looks like. Imagine for a moment that this was a protest of our indigenous neighbors calling for action on the need for clean drinking water, for redress of inequitable funding for children's education and welfare, for protection of treaty lands from exploitation for the resources. We don't actually need to imagine it. We have seen it. Police crackdowns, arrests, use of force, and violence towards the protesters. In a recent interview, Pam Palmiter says that had indigenous activists made these same threats, broke the same laws, and engaged in the same level of disruption, they would have been met with a heavy-handed crackdown. And Fareed Khan, who is a founder of Canadians United Against Hate, offers a similar thought. If you had a Muslim or a brown person or an indigenous person who organized such an event and called for the unseating of the government of this country, security forces would have been brought down on them like a bag of hammers. Regardless of what you think about the validity of this current freedom protest, I want us all to consider this question. Who belongs? Who is worthy of being loved and welcomed? Who is my neighbor? Not only in the literal sense, but in the sense that Jesus uses in his parable. How do my words, my actions, and my presence reflect the words and actions and presence of Jesus to those who are on the margins. Those who wonder if it's possible that they can belong, whether they can be seen, whether they can be heard, whether they too are worthy to be called beloved children of God. As we walk with Jesus, may we hear his voice and see his love. He loves the 12-year-old girl who is at the center of the community. And he loves with the same deep, abiding, and healing love the one who lives in the shadows and fear. They too are children of God. May we, as the people of God, live in this same way. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Fort Gary MB Church. We hope that what you heard challenged you to think in new ways about Jesus Christ and the life that we are called to through his death and resurrection. If you have any questions about who we are as a church, our mission, or have any other questions in general, please do not hesitate to contact our office email at info at fgmb.ca. Be blessed.